2: Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
4: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport,
2: and me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show Podcast.
2: Hey, howdy, folks. Welcome
5: to the Rush Limbaugh program and the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, and three hours of broadcast excellence straight ahead. As always, it's great to have you here, and I know you're all here. Something I sense, something that I am able to just know, because I am aware of the bond that exists between host and listeners. Listeners. And I appreciate it. Our telephone number, if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushmoe at eibnet.us. Well, so far, folks, over 100 people have died today from COVID-19 due to President Biden's mishandling of the virus. Well, isn't, isn't that the way we report this stuff? I mean, that's... That's how they reported it with President Trump. Except they, they, they were a little bit more critical than I was. I mean, they had thousands of people dying every day because of Trump. I reduced my number to 100. Over 100 people have died so far from COVID-19 due to President Biden's mishandling of the virus. Well, they were going to fix it, right? We're going to unify ourselves out to wazoo and we're going to fix all this. Now, you know how this actually works. What's going to happen is that the drive-by media is going to report that Biden has inherited an absolutely horrible coronavirus response. And they'll go out and they'll talk to Dr. Fauci. And Dr. Fauci will say, yes, he has inherited a very, very bad and beleaguered response. But we are confident we are confident that the vaccine rollout will now proceed in a very professional and all-encompassing fashion. This is what happens, you know, Obama. Obama takes office in 2000 uh, 2009 and and it takes what 2 weeks and we are treated to the news, my god. The Bush economy was even worse than we thought. They left us a bigger mess than we thought. Remember that? Don't deny it, folks. That's exactly how it ends up being reported. So Biden will be said to have inherited a bad coronavirus vaccine rollout response, whatever. Just like Obama. Oh, my goodness. We inherited it. They didn't even tell us that it was worse than we thought. Which was used to justify your taxes going up? Clinton did it too. Clinton takes office nineteen ninety three I've never worked harder on, on anything in my life except except Jennifer Flower she's a toughie for a while, but aside from that, I have never worked harder on anything, and you know what they they, they the Bush people they lied they lied to us. they and we found it out. We've The economy is so much worse than what they told I I, I thought I was going to be able to have a middle-class tax cut. You remember I said so during that campaign. But, nah, can't do it. I tried. I, I spent so much time working on it, but I can't. Got to raise taxes. They always do this. But Trump, what did Trump do? Trump inherited a decades-long decline of our country. Not just an economy, of course that was true, but Trump inherited a decades-long decline in our country. It was a decline that the Obama administration was promoting. It was a decline the Obama administration said they were the experts to manage it, that they were elected in the right time. And Obama and his team told us, You need to lower your expectations. The days of the next generation doing better than their parents, those days may be over in America. Because America is um, maybe not deserved a superpower status. Maybe America hasn't legitimately earned our economic power. We've stolen things from other nations. You you know the drill. You know how Obama went about it. So they were going to manage the new decline. There wasn't going to be economic growth in excess of 1.5% GDP every year. And there wasn't. That's what Trump inherited. Trump inherited an administration economic policy which was predicated on decline. And what did he do? What did Trump do? After getting to Washington in the Oval Office in 2017, Trump realizes that it's worse than he thought. What did he do? He didn't complain. He didn't call a press conference in the Oval Office. He didn't say, they lied to me. He just worked himself to the bone to fix it. And he did, to the point now that the New York Times and the Washington Post are suggesting that the Biden economic transition team had better do everything they can to rebuild the economy to what it was during Trump's first 3 years. 200 people not 200 people have died so far today from COVID-19 due to President Biden's mishandling of the virus. You they love this on the other side of the glass over there. Well, this is this is exactly how they reported it with Trump because of his mishandling, in the middle of Operation Warp Speed, we got vaccines in ten months. Nah, that's not worth any credit. Twin suicide bombings rock the Iraqi capital. This is CNN. The foreign policies of the uh, po- foreign policy failures of the Biden regime are starting to mount here, folks. Are you looking at the timeline here? Joe Biden's inauguration triggered violence in American cities and abroad. Did you see what's in Portland? Did you see the violence in Portland? Antifa is attacking Democrat Party buildings. And the the political powers that be in Portland are begging them to stop. With megaphones, with Al Sharpton megaphones, begging them to stop. And Antifa is saying things like, we don't want Biden, we want revenge. They're not at all satisfied with what the Democrat Party has done to get even with what somebody else did that has ticked off Antifa. Antifa. Twin suicide bombs rocked a busy market in central Baghdad this morning. Baghdad time. They're about eight hours ahead of us, maybe six. Killed at least 32 people. Injured 110 others, according to officials and state media. Security forces say they pursued the two attackers before they blew themselves up. It was the first suicide attack to strike Baghdad in nearly two years. Well... Obviously, the foreign policy failures, the Biden administration starting to mount here, folks. Well, what are you—I'm only reporting things based on what I—we were going to have unity, and we were going to have love, and we were going to have solutions to— pro, The world was going to be celebrated, don't you know, getting rid of Donald Trump, vanquishing Trump down to Mar-a-Lago, wherever, getting rid of Trump, like, this was going to be— One of the most healing things for the entire world. It was like when General David Dinkins was elected mayor of New York. The homeless smelled nicer that day. The birds were chirping more happily. The sky was bluer. The refuse in all of the garbage cans didn't smell as bad. That's how they report it. You remember that, Mr. Snurdley? So that was what was supposed to happen here with the election of Biden, now blowing themselves up in Baghdad. Man, oh, man. By the way, President Biden had wrote an executive order mandating masks on federal property. So naturally, he was not wearing one at the Lincoln Memorial last night, hours after signing his own executive order. This is called leading by example, ladies and gentlemen. Democrats with this very move were given a green light to be raging hypocrites as if they needed it. They don't need a green light. They can behave with hypocrisy automatically. So you see you, if you are on federal property, you, have a mask mandate but uh, plugs doesn't have to if he doesn't want to you have to allow for the fact that he forgot his own oh, well i don't know if it includes federal highway it's a good point federal highway not exactly an enclosed uh, but it, you would say it's federal property yeah that's a good question got to wear masks when you're driving along on uh, a federal highway so is, uh, is I-95, is that a federal road? It is. It's not a state road in Florida, isn't it? Feder- is federal- Oh, yeah, okay, okay. I don't know. All I do is drive on them. I, I don't know who owns them. I- <sighs> yeah, that's true. Every Democrat president says things were worse than they were told. First week in office. Oh, my God. I, I didn't, they, they just couldn't square it when they didn't tell us how bad this really was. And then you spend the next four years or eight years blaming your predecessor. All right. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I have a couple of things here, a couple of stories I have run across in the process of show prep today, and they're really, really good. And both of them uh, tie back to things that I was attempting to convey yesterday as I watched the inauguration of Joe Biden on television, the one thing that stri- so many things struck me, and I was, I was, I was trying to fold in my observations and comments that were happening in flash moments, and and trying to keep them organized and in some semblance of, uh, well, organization and, and meaningfulness. It was it was a real challenge, but but the the thing that I there was nobody there. There wasn't anybody there by design and on purpose. The only people that were there were military people who had been impugned and criticized. They had to be disarmed. They couldn't be trusted with their own ammo. There was nobody there other than the acknowledged members of the Washington establishment who felt safe to come out now and join... The newly elected and inaugurated president there on the dais, on the stage. One of the pieces that I have that I that I want to share with you is by a woman who writes in the UK, Katie Hopkins. She's absolutely brilliant. She's funny. She's she's a solid conservative, she, and she has written extensively about Brexit. And she came to the United States to attend the inauguration. She wanted to see it. She was at the ceremony. And she had many of the same impressions that I had. She phrases them a little differently, but she had many of the same impressions that I had watching a little bit of it yesterday on television. And I want to share that with you. And then the other story is uh, equally as good. And it is from the Ludwig von Mises website by a writer named Tho, T-H-O, Bishop. Its title is Trump's Potential Legacy, 50 Million Plus Enemies of the State. And you're going to appreciate both of these pieces for what they are, and the, the first one especially. Uh, and I, I don't—I don't mean to say one is better than the other, but uh, Katie, Katie—I'm uh, uh, looking for her last name here. Okay, Katie. I found it. Or Katie Hopkins. She's. Her observations of what was happening yesterday are so close to what I was trying to say. I I left the studio yesterday thinking that I had not been my best. I didn't actually convey precisely what I was thinking and feeling watching it all yesterday. I saw her piece today. I said, yeah, 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 that's close. That's exactly close to what I was trying to say. So let me take a brief break. We'll come back, get started with pool quoting and analyzing Katie Hopkins' piece, we'll get on to the next one, uh, because they might shape things that you want to discuss as we go to the phones. Again, at 800-282-2882. Be right back. All right, let's go to the audio soundbites. I want you to hear Antifa in Portland. These are ostensibly Democrat activists. These are the people the Democrat Party rolled over for all this past summer. Antifa was burning down the town in Seattle as well, along with Black Lives Matter. They didn't do one thing to stop it. They let it happen. They kept the town roiled and shut down just to damage the economy so that re-electing Trump would be harder. Last night in Portland, they had a riot. They attacked the Democrat Party of Oregon headquarters. And the party responded with toughness that we haven't seen, and I don't know how long. Oh, yeah. The Democrat Party had a taped message, and they had it looped. They had a looped, taped message that they just kept playing. They knew it was going to scare the heck out of these people. They knew how intimidating they sounded. They knew that a taped message via an Al Sharpton megaphone was exactly what was called for. Vandalism and graffiti is subject to arrest or citation.
6: Criminal conduct may subject you to the use of force, including, but not limited to, crowd control agents and impact weapons. Stop damaging
7: the Democratic Party of Oregon, Portland headquarters.
8: Anyone involved in criminal behavior, including vandalism,
6: the even even
5: Were you able to hear that? Yeah, good. I, I, I was not. I, it's a good thing I have the transcript because the first half of that I was not able to understand. But the it started out vandalism and this is the Democrat Party. This is the taped message that they're sending out to Antifa. Vandalism and/or graffiti is subject to arrest or citation. Criminal conduct is subject due to the use of force, including but not limited to crowd control agents and impact weapons. Stop damaging the Democrat Party of Oregon Portland headquarters. And then the next thing you heard was the building being damaged, as Antifa continued its assault. Well, they've already trashed a police station. So now it's uh, time to take aim at the Democrat Party of Oregon headquarters. Anybody involved in criminal behavior, including vandalism and or graffiti, and then an antifa. antifacil. Why in the absolute F is this even happening? And then some glass broke. Unidentified protester starts reacting. And then we had more. Threatening rhetoric via looped tape recording is subject to arrest of citation. Stop damaging the Democrat Party of Oregon Portland headquarters. That was really going to be effective, right? And let's listen. Go back to audio soundbite number twenty, number four here. This is Joe Biden in Cleveland on September 29th last year. White supremacists. Ahead, Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not kidding. militia. That's what right. his it's FBI, idea. his okay. FBI director gentlemen, said. Well, then, gonna, you know what? No, no, we're done, we're done, sir.
6: Antifa is a dangerous
5: radical... All right, radical gentlemen, That was during a presidential debate, September 29th. That was in Cleveland. It was uh, moderated by Chris Ma- uh, Wallace, who, by the way, Chris Wallace said that, that plugs his inaugural address was the best he'd ever heard. So I went to the White House website to get a copy of it. Folks, you ought to see it. Most of the sentences are no longer than three words because I think that's all he can do reading a prompter. Most of that inaugural address was sentence fragments. Anyway, you heard Plug say is nothing. They're not an organization. They're, they're, they're just an idea. Right, as they destroy Portland. Welcome back. All right, here's the KB Hopkins piece from the UK. Remember, she is a uh, very funny writer for a UK publication. Now, this piece is published uh, at David Horowitz's website, Frontpage Mag. She came over to the United States from Britain, where she has been making a name for herself, writing about Brexit. But she is a brilliant uh, conservative writer. And as I say, she's she's hilarious. She came to the Biden inaugural ceremony yesterday, and she had much the same impression that I did, watching it on TV. Let me give you some pull quotes to illustrate what I mean. This the inauguration, should be an historical moment for the country. Instead, it felt like an illusion. It felt fabricated for television, right down to the made-for-TV flags and the columns of light on the mall. Not only is the city of Washington completely abandoned by ordinary Americans, it feels like a military garrison, courtesy of 25,000 National Guard troops and police and Secret Service, posted at every intersection. Many of them are sleeping at my hotel, and I couldn't wish for better roommates, meaning safety. But their frustration is obvious. These good men and women of the military, Secret Service, National Guard, they've left their homes... They've left their families and they've left their jobs, in the case of National Guard, to be here at the Biden inauguration. But to what end? We can all see that there's no threat here. There's no threat to be faced. Fake News is relying on repeating their footage of the riot on January 6th at Capitol Hill to perpetuate the myth that this is a city Under siege to domestic terror. Man, is that so spot on? That is so right. The effort was clear. Nobody, no average, no citizens allowed. It's too dangerous. Our elected officials are engaging in profound bravery. They need to be appreciated for putting themselves so front and center in harm's way we need the military, we need the National Guard we need the Secret Service because we live under a permanent internal domestic terrorist threat. And of course all of that is because of Donald Trump. And the the the, the cable news and all the news networks covering this yesterday were in fact, Relying on completely rolling again all of their footage of the riot on January 6th and intermingling it with live coverage to create this idea that it was not safe in the nation's capital. And it isn't safe because of a bunch of conspiracy theory radical domestic right wing Donald Trump supporting terrorists. They were so eager to perpetuate the myth that Washington is a city under siege, which it is not. She said Washington now feels like one giant stage built entirely for a drama of the Democrats' own creation. She wrote that it it feels numb here. It's like watching surgery on your own hand when you're anesthetized against the pain But you can still see the knife cutting the flesh. Watch your own blood flow. That's exactly what it is like here in Washington. Without people, there's no emotion. And without emotion, no one can feel anything. And just like surgery, it it feels unreal. It is emotion that makes these events matter. It is the bond of the people there... With the winner, with the president-elect, whoever he is, being inaugurated. But none of that was on display because there was no people. There were no people. There was no emotion. And by the way, the reason for this is that Biden does not have a bond with anybody. They didn't. The people were not demanding to be there in the first place. It didn't take a large effort to keep them away. All it took was uniformed National Guard people, a couple of news stories about how unsafe it was. And then the spread of the virus. Oh, my goodness. And you didn't have any trouble keeping people away. She writes, it's a sterilized inauguration in a city sanitized by a garrison of troops. All you can feel is numb. All I can say is I stand here now in the freezing cold with a handful of other people is that I hope America never has to see anything like this again. Nothing is as it seems. It's just horrible in every sense. There's no one here. And I'm not saying that in the weird competitive way people talk about crowd sizes as a measure of popularity. What I mean is there is literally no one here. She wrote this yesterday, by the way. Even pressed up to the gates... With inside the Capitol building, there's barely a handful of Biden supporters, alongside a small gaggle of media, scratching about trying to find something to film. Residents with the means to do so have moved out. Others stay locked in their homes, and visitors heeded the fear-mongering and stayed away. I was called a moron with a death wish for traveling to the United States to document this event. This is Katie Hopkins again from the U.K. writing. And even though it's perfectly safe, no one is here to bear witness to the event. There's nobody here. She kept referencing that fact. That's the thing that struck me yesterday that I don't think I did an adequate job of conveying. There was nobody there. The whole thing seemed artificial, which then led to, well, what else is artificial about it? Those kinds of questions that you just Ask yourself, it should be an historical moment for the United States. Instead, it feels like an illusion, fabricated for television, right down to the made-for-TV flags and columns of light on the mall. You know, by the way, those flags, and there were, I don't know how many, but there were lots and lots of them, and they were designed to be very sensitive to even the slightest wind so that they were in constant motion. Those flags, the Biden administration said, were there to replace people. Since we couldn't safely accommodate people because of COVID, because of the threat of domestic terror, sponsored, of course, by Donald Trump, the flags had to do a stand-in. It did look like I know I, I conveyed this properly, it looked it, it looked like like these tin horn dictatorships in Central and South America. Like the only people present at the installation of a new leader are wearing military uniforms. Black on, Lives, um, uh, on Black Lives Matter Plaza, just a block or two from the White House, Black Lives Matter protesters seem to enjoy special privileges. The entry point to this place remains relatively open and welcoming. Their music system gives the place a party feel, and there are no National Guards visible here. So Black Lives Matter was welcomed, and there was no resistance to them. Biden stepped up to the podium on an empty stand, addressing a mall void of life and spoke of his hopes for unity. A brief timeout, and I'll, I'll do some pull quotes from the uh, other story that I cited. Be back before you know it. Don't go away. Yeah, here we go. The wrap-up by Katie Hopkins. We have to reject a culture in which facts are manipulated and manufactured. I remember those suitcases of ballots being hauled out from under tables in Pennsylvania. And the statistic improbability of these vote dumps in the swing states. And I wonder how Joe Biden is not choking on his words. America has to be better than this just let I me mean, just look around here we stand in the shadow of the capitol dome we endured we prevailed i look around just as he's asking us to do and i see how barren it all is joe biden is all but alone with what he's saying up there nothing has prevailed here not there's no joy there's There's no emotion. There's certainly not the will of the American people on display here. That's not what explains this. And that is a very powerful line, almost a throwaway. But if you were in Washington on Inauguration Day, the one thing you did not see was the expressed will of the American people on display. They weren't there. They weren't allowed there. There was no emotion because of it. Katie Hopkins concludes, As I write, walk back to my hotel feeling about ready to sit down with that homeless guy and share his cheap whiskey. I meet a woman who has traveled from Texas to be here because of her love for Biden and because she was here four years ago for the vagina hat marches in which she had such a fantastic time. She can't believe that she's all alone. She can't believe she's the only one that showed up. She can't believe a city is so deserted. Not only that, she can't get close enough to see or hear anything. So, so much for Biden's plea to see each other, to listen to each other, to hear each other. This poor woman has not seen another soul because there isn't anybody here. And she tells me she just feels really, really disappointed. I give her a hug. I tell her I feel it, too. Biden asks for unity. Maybe this is it. Maybe his supporters and I are united in our disappointment at it all. All right. Now the piece uh, that, uh, that ran the, the Von Mises website by Tho Bishop. Trump's potential legacy, 50 million plus enemies of the state. So I'm just going to share with you some pull quotes from this piece because it resonates, too. Should skepticism of the 2020 election fueled by a new administration's actions finally convince 50 plus million Trump supporters that the barbarians in the Beltway do not represent them and to react accordingly, then Trump's presidency will, despite his own actions, be the disruption that America's elites truly feared. So right off the bat, this writer thinks that Trump, regardless where he is today and how he got there, has succeeded in disrupting the Washington establishment and that that's what they in the establishment actually feared and were not able to stop. Another pull quote, well, they finally got Donald Trump, but he sure scared the bejesus out of them. It took a massive five-year campaign of hysteria, of fear, of hate, orchestrated by all wings of the ruling elite, from the respectable right to the activist left. The irony, of course, is that the last actions of Trump's presidency highlighted how little of a threat that he, as an individual, really was to the deep corruption in America's government. But man, did he have them scared. He had them scared. They remain scared. They remain so scared that they're not going to stop until they have destroyed him. Yeah, little Wayne may be free, but figures like Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, and Ross Ulbricht are not. The Fed, Federal Reserve, big fat bubble has only gotten larger as Wall Street has thrived while American workers continue to be discriminated against. Trump's impact on American politics may result in an even greater impact on the U.S. government than his collaboration with Mitch McConnell on the judiciary. A variety of polling indicates that as Donald Trump boarded Marine One to retreat to Mar-a-Lago, he did so with most of his voters believing he is the rightful president. One poll even showed almost 80% of Republicans do not trust the results of the 2020 presidential election. Now, if we estimate that 75% of all of Trump's 2020 voters hold that view, That leaves us with uh, about 50 million Americans who believe they now live under an illegitimate federal government. Uh, Whether they're right or wrong, that is an incredible thing that 50 plus million Americans might believe they live under an illegitimate. That's the last thing Biden wanted. That's the last thing. The Democrats want everybody to believe that legitimacy is what's been restored, that Trump was the one illegitimate, that Trump was the pretender, that Trump was the danger. And this is another thing that got close to getting close to my feelings yesterday. I'm watching Biden and all these people speak As though everybody was just happy as hell they're back. Back in power. Happy as hell. Oh, it's back to normal. Oh, thank God. Thank God you Democrats are back. Oh, it's so wonderful. Now we can breathe easy. The Democrats on the stage yesterday comported themselves as though that's what everybody in America believed. Well, it isn't what everybody in America believes. It's what they hope People believe, but they're not close. And the reality, the reality that all of that is bogus, that the American people are finally celebrating this return to normalcy, Democrats back in power, the reality that people don't think that way terrifies Washington more than anything Donald Trump could have done while occupying the White House. And he's the one that made this reality happen, even though they got rid of him, even though they finally got him. They haven't. What the state fears above all is any fundamental threat to its own power and its own existence. And 50 plus million people not thinking that their power is legitimate, that can be a frightening thing. Lo and behold, wait till you hear this audio soundbite. CNN is reporting. It's miraculous. The virus numbers are improving in 43 states, folks, since Biden was... in since yesterday. It's a miracle. Oh, my goodness. Are we
9: so happy?
0: Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hi there. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh and the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Delighted to have you here, folks, as is always the case. Still on second base, still chugging for third base. And I have it in sight. Third base. I can see it up there, and I'm on the move. Great to be with you. Telephone number 800 282 2882 if you want to be on the program. Email address lrushbow at eibnet.us. Look, it's impossible not to be cynical, particularly when you predict these things. And I'm not alone. You probably joined me constantly in predicting that either shortly after the election or well into the Biden transition and certainly after the inauguration, why the news media would be filled with stories of how bright it is now. Despite plugs talking about it's going to be a dark winter, which he did, he warned all of us that it's very dark out there and there's no light in sight. We nevertheless predicted the drive-by media would take care of that. And lo and behold, I have a couple of uh, examples here. I mean, and some of this stuff is so saccharine sweet that if you read it on your own, you would need to take diabetes medicine to lower your blood sugar. I have here a replica today of the front page of The New York Times, and I just want to share with you the headlines. And I want to ask you, when is the last time you remember any stories with headlines like this about the American president? The top headline above the fold, democracy has prevailed. Biden vows to mend nation. I don't know what the headline was on the day after Trump's inauguration, but I know that he was given no credit. He was given no understanding. He was given no praise whatsoever for wanting to make America great again. In fact, the news media was filled with how dangerous that was and how irresponsible it was and how impossible it was. Democracy has prevailed. When has it not? Democracy prevailed when Donald Trump was elected president. They had to make up a four-year, just destructive, damaging campaign to try to convince people that Trump stole the election with the Russians. Okay, here's some of the other headlines. A president forged by setbacks as much as by his successes. Oh, Joe Biden, man, he's had such a tough road. Such a challenging road to get where he is. Very few could have done what plugs Biden did. A president forged by setbacks as much as by his successes. Take a measure of me and my heart, he asks of Americans. So we're supposed to look at plugs and we're supposed to take a measure of him and then we do it again with his heart. Another headline taking reins of country torn by crisis and strife, historic leap for Harris. Oh, yeah, because, you know, my friends, the day is coming where she is going to be president. And and they're not talking about it, obviously. But the day is coming, and it's arguably sooner than later. Taking reins of Country, Torn by Crisis and Strife, Historic Leap for Kami Harris. Another headline, Transfer of Power Brings Respite to City Where a Mob Held Sway. We're all safe again. The peaceful transfer of power, putting Joe Biden in the Oval Office, has brought a needed respite to a city where a mob... ...held sway. Another headline... ...a call for the return of civility and truth as a guiding light. Do you remember any such headlines as these during any period of the Trump presidency? No, you don't, because they didn't exist. Here's another Wall Street Journal... ...the Biden-Harris inauguration fashion signals a strong commitment to American fashion... We didn't get one story in four years about Melania Trump and her fashion, which every first lady gets. She didn't get a single story. She didn't get a single magazine cover, not Vogue, not whatever the hell they are. I don't read them, but she didn't get one. In fact, whenever it was mentioned, she was usually ripped and criticized for not knowing how to wear clothes. And that she was, she was Slovenian. Anyway, she had this really thick accent. She really wasn't a good first lady. We couldn't understand what she was saying. And she didn't want to be married to Trump anyway. They told us. So, yeah, right here it says the American fashion industry is suddenly a buzz again. Really, the American fashion industry is a buzz again All of this is so predictable. The fashion industry going to be doing stories on um, Jill Biden. Now they to be fair, they did a big piece on Hillary and Jill Biden and Michelle Mybelle Obama and who else was in there? Don't no remember who else, but but they're making up for lost time. Oh, Cammy Kami Harris, she got thrown into fashion coverage, too. The American fashion industry suddenly abuzz again. For today's inauguration, President Biden, First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, don't forget the doctor, Vice President Kamala Harris, and Second Gentleman Douglas Hoff have all chosen to wear the work of American designers or labels, including Ralph Lauren, Christopher John Rogers and Mark Harrion. we actually have a second gentleman who's fashion conscious <clears throat> okay fine and dandy Let's see what else do we have here any other stories? there are countless stories like these I will dredge them um, uh, I'll dredge them up I want you to sound like Graham soundbite 24 this is CNN this is just like moments ago within I guess the last 45 minutes. John King. He was standing there at his gigantic interactive map, you know, the one they use when they count states and electoral votes and all that on election night. Now they're 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 counting uh, COVID cases and so forth. It's just a miracle, folks. It's just a damn miracle. It's so, and we predicted this. We predicted that after election day, COVID would start, start, to fade away. ...as a dominant factor. Here's how CNN reported the fact that virus numbers... Why... Why... 43 states... They're getting better. Look at all the green here on the map. He green
6: says. means fewer new infections now compared to a week ago, and you see a lot of green on the map. Forty-three states trending in the right direction, meaning fewer new infections now compared to a week ago. The map does look better as the new administration takes over. This map looks good, but again, you're starting from a pretty horrific level when it comes to new infections. Some encouraging numbers if you're Joe Biden. Ah,
5: which is what Matt. Some encouraging numbers if you're Joe Biden, not if you happen to have COVID. But really encouraging numbers if you are Joe Biden. See how it works. You can predict it. And it's so predict. They don't even try to screw us up who are making predictions. They don't even try. They just go ahead and do what we predict they're going to do. All right, I want to get started on the phones because I failed again to get into the phones in the first hour. We're going to start with Mike in Cincinnati. I'm glad you waited, sir. You're up
1: first today. Hi. Hey, Rush. Hey, first I want to say your voice sounds strong and fantastic like it did 10 years ago. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, keep it up. You sound really strong and good. So, Thank you, you sir. you sounded that way for a I'm, while. I'm
5: actually, my Thank voice God. is very gravelly today. I'm glad to hear that our audio processing equipment is... Uh, <laughs> no, it really is. <clears throat> I'm having to clear my throat free, but I'm glad to hear you. I really appreciate it, bottom line. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I hear you sound strong. Hey, what I wanted to – I'll get right to the point because Snerdly told me to, and I don't want to mess with him. So yesterday I listened to every word of the speech, understanding that Biden wrote none of the speech. Like most presidents, it's written by other people. But because he is a bridge uh, over the moat with 50 million of us crocodiles in it, when he starts using words or when his writers start using words like unite and united, it's not what even Biden might think it means. What it means, considering who's the cabal behind him now, what it means is groupthink, a collective, you know, attitude, a, a socialist unite. In other words, you're going to unite, you're going to do it our way or else. That's what they really mean by the word unite. So that's pretty darn scary, to be quite honest with you. And, and the, the, they have a hive mentality and the queen bee in the hive isn't even Biden. It's it's Karl Marx. These people have now crossed the bridge. They're in the White House. They're in the castle. They're going to lay it on. Yeah, that's full force on us.
5: That sadly is true. Um, we do have Marxist radicals, and some of them even, admittedly, uh, about themselves that are in this administration. We actually have that now. I'm not saying Biden is—don't don't anybody misunderstand. I'm telling you that there are plenty of people, as, as maybe some of you have learned for the first time, there are hundreds of people that make up a presidential administration just in the West Wing. And in that group of people, there are some acknowledged lovers of Mount Tung. Obama had a bunch of those people. Anita Dunn, who's married to the guy that runs the Perkins Cohen law firm— his name? Bob something or other. Uh, when it came out that she was a, she she gave up that news in a in a funeral for somebody at uh, the Washington Cathedral, the National Cathedral, and she had to uh, she had to kind of fade away at a little bit of disgrace because the Obama administration didn't want people to know that they actually had people who loved Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong's a mass murderer, in order to keep people in line. But there are acknowledged Marxists and leftists in this administration. No question about it. There have been with the Obama administration and there were with with Clinton. Not as many. It has gotten progressively uh, more populated as time has gone on. But now the numbers are pretty serious and it's worth pointing out. Now, you mentioned the inaugural address and I did too mere moments ago. I went on, I got a copy of it because I was unable to follow along yesterday because it started pretty much when the program – show prep was ending. I was putting everything together and the inaugural address began. So I went to the website, White House website. Folks, this is incredible. Can I, I want to read to you what some people are saying was the best inaugural address they have ever heard. Now, what I think I have here is the teleprompter version, meaning I think this is the version that Biden gave. And the reason I think this is because there are sentence fragments far more than there are complete sentences. There is nothing lofty here. There is nothing memorable here for its substance, for its uh, creativity, for its objectives. There's nothing in this speech that would prompt anybody other than a partisan to call it the greatest they've ever heard. And more than that, I think the fact that there are so many four-word sentences in this inaugural address tells us something about President Biden's ability with the prompter. They have to keep it short. They can't put lengthy sentences that contain a subject and a predicate and an objective because he may not be able to speak them with proper punctuation. Don't know, but it's a guess. So after... Acknowledging the, uh, the high honor of the presence of so many big bigwigs in the establishment like the Chief Justice, the Vice President, the Speaker, the Leader, the Leader, the Vice President, the Distinguished Guests, my fellow Americans. This is America's Day. This is Democracy's Day. A day of history and hope. Of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew. America has risen to the challenge. Yeah, America was tested. 75 million people or more voted for a guy we don't like. That's a real test, getting rid of that guy. Today we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause. The cause of democracy. Democracy is fragile. I thank my predecessors of both parties for their presence here. I thank them from the bottom of my heart. The American story depends not on any one of us, not on some of us, but on all of us. On we the people. It's a great nation. We're good people. Over the centuries, through storm and strife and peace and in war, we've come so far. But we still have far to go. We will press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and possibility, much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Five consecutive sentences there of three words each few periods in our, nation, our nation's history have been more challenging or difficult than the one we're in now. We got the pandemic. We got a ex-president we had to get out of here. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds, thousands of businesses have been closed by my party. Oh, he didn't say my party. Anyway, it just, it just Well, I was expecting something. What I heard is the greatest speech ever heard. I thought, wow, this is going to be really, really deep and profound. And I just don't... Oh, I got to go. I just saw... I'm sorry. I'm running way along here. Rush Limbaugh, a household name in all four corners of the world, where every show matters, where every caller creates heightened expectations. And we go back to the phones. Christian Brick Township, New
7: Jersey. Hi. Hi, Rush. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I just wanted to comment quickly, maybe you could speak on it, uh, the political article that was just recently written uh, where George Bush was uh, quoted as saying to Representative Claiborne that he was the uh, savior of the country uh, from this past election. And it kind of got me annoyed, and I've actually never called a talk show and I decided to call your show because I was really upset at that comment. You know, unfortunately, uh, President Bush is coming off as a as a uh, useful idiot right now. Well, let because... me
5: explain this to, to people who may not be aware of this. That's, that's going to be very few. But uh, yesterday at the inauguration, George W. Bush approached James Clyburn, who named his daughter after a steak, Mignon Clyburn. Uh, I just throw that in as an added bit of information. And he went up to Clyburn and he and Clyburn is the source for the story. He, he said that George Bush called him the savior. And the reason is it was Clyburn's endorsement of Biden in South Carolina in the primaries that is seen by the uh, cognoscente, the establishment. That endorsement of Clyburn's is what put Joe Biden over the top because it got the black vote to turn out. They had been sitting it out. They had been dormant. They came out for Biden because of their respect for Clyburn. And Bush went up to Clyburn to thank him for doing that. He was really basically saying, "Uh, Congressman Clyburn, you're the reason that we got rid of Trump. You're, You're the reason that we've got Biden in there. Thank you. You are the savior. That Clyburn is the source of this. Thank you, Christian. We'll have commentary coming back. Hi, welcome back. Now, one of the things that Christian, our previous caller, was upset about, during the eight years of the George W. Bush administration, they never defended themselves. Bush didn't. uh, Karl Rove didn't. Nobody did. And they were routinely attacked. And the thing about it was that it was an attack on us, too, just like... These never-ending attacks on Trump were attacks on the people that voted for Trump. And in fact, I would suggest that the real enemy that the media, the Democrats had, was the people who voted for Trump. Trump, just one guy. And even if he had served a second term, he's still going to be out the door someday. But Trump voters could be voters in perpetuity. And that, that was the real focus of their anger and their hatred was the voters that supported Trump. Well, during the eight years of Bush, I mean, he was savaged like Trump was. And in some cases, it was parallel. They compared him to Hitler. There were movies that justified the assassination of George W. Bush. Uh, it, was, it was dirty. It was mean. It was evil stuff. Uh, they had General Petraeus up to testify about some action that he was suggesting we take in Iraq to turn the tide there. And on the day of his testimony before congressional committees, they ran ads referring to him as General B. accusing him of lying before he had even testified. And it was all an effort to sabotage and undermine the Bush war in Iraq and the Bush war on terror. And despite it all, Bush never defended himself, and neither did anybody in the administration. But we did. People, uh, conservative talk radio all over the country, defended Bush, defended his administration, defended his objectives. And Christian was a little upset here that Bush's loyalty is to the people that were ripping him, ripping him apart. James Clyburn was out there ripping Bush apart like every other Democrat did for eight years, from two thousand one to two thousand nine. I'll never forget. And I commented on this when I saw it there was a State of the Union speech Bush had given it, and he was. Mistreated during this speech like you can't believe. He was booed. The Democrats did not stand up for standing O's. Uh, they made it abundantly clear they thought he was an idiot. They had no respect for him whatsoever. And I watched it all the way through. And at the end of that speech, cameras cut to the foyer outside the House chamber where the State of the Union speech was delivered. And a senator from, I think it was Minnesota, I can't, wish I could remember who it was. You might remember, Snerdly, was begging Bush for, an, for a photo. He ran after him and wanted Bush to pose with him for a photo, and Bush did. The senator is no longer there. I don't know who, I, I wish I could remember who it was. Prominent. It was a prominent senator. And I said, what the hell is this? So when he doesn't think the cameras are on, he's out there. He's with the president of the United States, and he wants a picture to memorialize it. And Bush happily, dutifully stopped what he was doing and posed for the photo. And I'm sitting there watching it. I'm saying, this, these, these guys are trying to destroy you. And I would even mention that to Bush when I had a case. He said, no, no, Rush, it's just politics. It's all it is. It's just politics. I am not going to take the office of the presidency down to the gutter of everyday politics. I'm going to stay above it. And that's why they wouldn't defend themselves. But we did. And Christian was upset that Bush chose to praise somebody that tried to destroy him. James Clyburn. Here's Clyburn, by the way, telling the story. This is yesterday after the inauguration uh, Clyburn held a, a conference call with reporters, and the question was, What were you thinking when President Biden was taking his oath of office?
10: George Bush said to me today, he said, You know, you the savior. Because if you had not nominated Joe Biden, we would not be having this transfer of power today. He said to me, Joe Biden was the only one who could have defeated. The incumbent president.
5: Joe Biden was the only one who could have defeated Donald Trump. And you made it happen, President Bush. I mean, you, you, you made it happen. Clyburn says Bush told him he made it happen. Because, and he did. I'll never forget it. Clyburn went to the motions of two days, supposedly rubbing his hands together in angst over, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Because Biden... Biden doesn't have the greatest record on race in Washington, folks. He's 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 sidled up to all kinds of racists and bigots in the Democrat Party over the course of his time there. But eventually, Clyburn bit the bullet, went out there and endorsed Biden. And that signaled to African-Americans in South Carolina. It's great and safe to vote for this guy, which they did and that that from that day forward it changed biden's fortunes and he never lost a primary or one that mattered after that and so that's that's why uh, bush sought to praise him so christian i'm glad you called I, I thank you steve in indianapolis you're next on the eib network hello
11: hey rush mega prayers to you sir you bet uh, it's great to have you with us Thank you. Well, actually, uh, a first-time caller. I was really delighted to get through. Uh, I mainly just wanted to talk to you about the election, uh, as seems to be dominant uh, this week. Um, the The thing that happened to, uh, to Trump should have never happened. Uh, he had all the proof in the world that the election was stolen. Literally, no one had the... No one was brave enough or was able to uh, muster the guts to even look at what they had done to bring it into light. And I, I followed it all the way through. I mean, uh, like many, I've been a, a loyal, you know, Trump supporter. And we, we were all hoping he had one last thing that he could have done to kept us from becoming the banana republic, which is what we are now. We are going to be a one-party country. The uh, Democrats have proven that they can steal any election that they want. They fine-tuned it for the uh, Georgia election. They got the machines just right, where the candidates uh, just were up just a little bit all the time. They didn't have these huge 100,000, you know, spikes like Biden did. And... Um, I, I was disappointed. I know. Yeah, know, I
5: have been waiting. I have been waiting uh, for uh, you or a caller like you, Steve, because I know that there are countless numbers of you out there. I was talking about this with, uh, with Catherine, my wife, last night. We were talking about that. I said, how many, how many people do you think? Even when Trump boarded Air Force One yesterday morning, how many people do you think thought there was still going to be something that was going to roll out that was going to prevent Biden from being inaugurated, truth is going to come out, whatever it was? And she said, I think there's a lot of people who think so. I think that there's a lot who think that there's something yet to happen. And I did too. I I had to agree with her. I think there are... Uh, I think a lot of people like you, Steve, who were really expecting that there was going to be some last minute, out of the blue, uh, roadrunner and coyote type thing that was going to cause Biden to fall off the cliff. And I didn't. I never have thought that. I was very guarded about it here on the program when the microphone was on, but I've never thought that that was in any way something that was going to happen. I never thought there was a secret plan. I never thought we had people call here. Throughout the month of December, uh, Trump's always five steps ahead. Of these guys rush. I can't wait for this to fall out. I know he's got something up his sleeve, and he's not going to be. He's not going to tell us what it is. But man, this guy—he's so smart. He's so—he's—he's he's five step I military people that I know believed this—that Trump was way ahead of everybody. Biden had no idea what was going to happen. And I didn't reply to these people and say, no, "I think." I, don't, I, I didn't want to let them down or disappoint them. They really believed it. They really believed that Trump was on top of things and had whatever it was. They didn't know what a plan was, but that something was going to happen that was going to make all of this right. And there wasn't anything. In fact, it was just the exact opposite. Now, grab audio soundbite number one. Because this soundbite is what the establishment thinks. They know that you have been out there, people like Steve. They know that there are people out there who thought that there was going to be a massively wonderful orgasmic surprise at the last minute. So the, the host of the CBS Late Show, Stephen Colbert, Is talking to former Obama speechwriter John Favreau. And the question What do you think about Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz or Mo Brooks over in the house? The people who suborned the sedition. Suborned the sedition? I'm telling you, they have been waiting. They want to pounce. Is there any price, Colbert, is there any price to be paid by Hawley, by Ted Cruz, by Mo Brooks?
9: I sure hope so. But the party has been radicalized. The base is radicalized. And they've been radicalized not just by Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, but by Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and the entire right-wing media ecosystem. And as long as that exists in radicalizing this base, we're going to have this problem.
5: You hear that? What, is, what does that mean? It means we are not going to stop now. We know we've had our fun. We've gone around the edges here with Media Matters and all. We're, we're going to make a beeline for Fox News and Rush Limbaugh now and, uh, and big-time talk radio. We're not going to put up with this anymore. They are why the Republican Party has been radicalized. They are why this caller Steve thinks that Trump had some massive last-minute plan. And now Steve's disappointed because he thought Trump really did have the goods on these guys for stealing the election. And apparently Trump didn't have the goods on these guys. So it's well, these guys, John Favreau, let me tell you something. He didn't even talk about Cruz and Hawley. them. You know, they're secondary figures to him. It's Fox News and Rush Limbaugh, the entire right-wing media ecosystem, that as long as it exists, we're going to have this problem. In other words, we're going to have the radicalization of the GOP base as long as Rush Limbaugh and Fox News exist. That's how they see it. They didn't think Trump had an egg up his sleeve either. Got to take a quick timeout. We'll be back. Don't go away. All right. Who's next as we uh, head back to the phones? Tampa. Tampa, Florida. says Chris. I'm glad you called, sir. Hello.
7: Hello, Rush. It is an absolute honor to speak with you, and um, it's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I um, just want to throw a shout-out to my dad and my best friend, Dale. He's listening, too. And I'm just a little nervous, so uh, bear with me, if you would. No, you
5: don't sound nervous at all, and I, I really I thank you for, uh, for calling. I appreciate that.
7: Thank you. So uh, I was in the military for two years in Berlin. I was at Field Station Berlin. I was there a year before and a year after the wall fell. And while I was there, kind of, you know, like the history and everything of World War II, and I saw some old photos and videos of Hitler giving speeches. And one of the things that kind of struck me is that when Hitler was giving speeches, all I saw were troops, flags, and politicians. And I didn't see any people. There was occasionally there was, but I mean,
5: yeah, the in there were some people in the guy. early days of Hitler before he became, I mean, he was. At one point, you know, Hitler was just a, another leader, and he was out getting votes and campaigning. Uh, and, and the early stages, in the, in the mid-late 30s, Hitler had, had people, had crowds that made up of uh, Americans, of just standard, ordinary uh, German citizens. But as time went on, yeah, his, his audiences were military.
7: It, it was very it- – Reminiscence of 1930s Germany just kind of it it was was a strange thing I I noticed. And one thing that I think that we all should do is is get out and get active, support your local politicians. Don't be afraid to call them. Don't be afraid to email them. Give time, give money and always be peaceful. But uh, the main thing is, is for everybody out there, get active, be part of the solution. Don't be part of the problem. Thank you again, Rush.
5: All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Thanks very much for the call. Do we have time? Yes, we do, because I'm in charge of the time. Kim in Joplin, Missouri, it's great to have you. You're next on the EIB Network. Hi.
6: Good afternoon, Rush. Mega dittos and prayers, one cancer survivor to another.
5: Well, thank you, sir.
6: I just wanted to call. You said something a few minutes ago that struck a nerve, and that was that the current Incoming administration fears the American people not accepting their legitimacy. Frankly, the incoming regime could not care less about that. They have now proven that they can and did successfully steal not one election, but two, they stole the national election and turned right around and stole Georgia. They no longer have anything to fear from the people because they can create however many votes they need to overcome the will of the people. Welcome to Nazi Germany in 1941.
5: Wow, well, there's two callers in a row here who are comparing this to Nazi Germany. Do you think, and I'm not, I just need to ask you a question. Do you think that is a good way of persuading people of what's happening? No.
6: I don't think it's a good way. I think it's the only way they got to have a visual. It's not going to work because those in the Republican party that see the steal are being silenced. Silenced? And yeah, we're being silenced. Our voices aren't heard. We're not on Colbert. I mean, you know, we're oh. not getting mainstream coverage. We are being
5: silenced. Yeah, but there's there's nothing That's new about that. But but they right. know they know you exist. Yeah, but they don't care if we exist because they've proven... Oh, yes, they do. Done. I Look, I know your point that they're not... They do care you exist to the point they want to wipe you out. They care you exist. Do, do, not, do not doubt that. We'll be back here in just a sec. Man, this really is the fastest three hours in media. We're already here. We're at the end of the second busy broadcast hour on the EIB Network today. Which means there's one more to go, and we'll get to it. We'll be back here, get started with it before you know it. Be patient, my friends. The EIB Network and L Rushmore roll right on right after this.
0: Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Right on, right on. Here we are back at it, just as promised. Rush Limbaugh, talent on lawn from God. And by the way... A little point of clarification. I said yes. I have rounded third base. I rounded second base. Still rounding second base, and can see third base. I'm not. I'm not chugging into third base yet. Don't don't misunderstand. We got a baseball metaphor going here to help explain the uh, the uh, progress on uh, on my treatment. So. Baseball metaphor worked. Everybody can understand it. So, rounded second, the objective is to steal home. I mean, the long-term objective is to round the bases. We have rounded second base. We can see third base, but we're not. It'd be a major theft right now to get into third, but we're trying. But I, based on what I'd said previously in the last hour, some people misunderstood, and I didn't. I, I don't want anybody having any false misunderstandings about uh, about any of this. Anyway, great to have you. Welcome back. 800-282-2882 if you want to be on the program and the email address is lrushbow at eibnet.us. Man, these Portland rioters, they have damaged an ice building. They have ta- they have they have attacked the the Democrat party headquarters in Portland and the police in Portland are literally asking Antifa to please stop it. They've got a recorded message on a, on a loop that they're playing. Please stop it. Please stop destroying a Democrat headquarters on the day of Biden's inauguration. Please just stop it. There's no show of force. There's no force in opposition to Antifa. They're just They're being given the run of the place. And I just saw... You know, I opened the program joking about this. I opened the program joking about this, but I think it was it was CNN. It just had a little graphic on the screen. Incoming Biden administration says they can't find any evidence of a vaccine program for COVID-19. So here we go. Here we go. The Biden team, like every other incoming Democrat administration, is going to point out why there's, there's no program, why there isn't any vaccine program, why there's no the – Trump didn't do diddly squat. So that's what, the, that's what the, the page that they're trying to get everybody on and the, that they're trying to set now is that, man, this Trump bunch, they didn't do jack. There isn't a vaccine program. Well, if there isn't a vaccine program, then how is anybody getting vaccinated? But that's what it said. Yeah, there's not happening. There's no vaccine program. We can't find it. Maybe you're not looking hard enough. Here's the thing. This is a big difference. And I don't know if uh, people remember, but, you know when Trump took office in 2017, he didn't start out with a bunch of complaints about what he had found. He, he might have referenced the fact that the Obama economy was a mess, which it was, but that was part of his campaign. He didn't start out making excuses. Donald Trump did not begin his administration by pointing out that a bunch of people had lied to him about how bad it was. Now, I shared with you some of the New York Times headlines that ran yesterday morning and today heralding the new presidency and Joe Biden and how syrupy saccharine they are. How you need diabetes medicine to avoid going into sugar shock, insulin shock. Well, I went back and I looked at the headlines from January 21st, 2017. This would be the headlines for Donald Trump's inauguration. And the top headline, headline above the fold, with false claims, Trump attacks media on turnout and intelligence rift. Women's March highlights as huge crowds protest Trump, we are not going away. That also a New York Times headline. There was this. Defiant voices flood U.S. cities as women rally for rights. The New York Times. Another headline from the New York Times. In Trump's hometown, a clear message of defiance from women. And the women were out in force in Queens, which is Trump's hometown, Queens, Manhattan maybe, but those were the headlines. With false claims, Trump attacks media on turnout, meaning the, how big the crowd was. Women's March highlights as huge crowds protest Trump. Nobody wanted this guy. Everybody voted against him. We don't know how he became president, but everybody doesn't like this guy. That was the message that the New York Times headlines on the day after his inauguration. By the way, we have a new soundbite from James Clyburn, who was also one of the leaders of the Congressional Black Caucasians. You know, the House of Representatives has that group. It's an offset. The uh, uh, Congressional House Caucasians. He was, a, he was a president of that group. It rotates. So anyway, he was, he was on uh, a balance of power show, Bloomberg TV, Hosted by David Weston. David Weston is the former president of ABC News. He's a former executive. Executives don't want to be behind camera, but this guy is. Executives don't want to be talent, but this guy apparently does. David Weston. So he has as his guest James Clyburn of the Congressional Black Caucasians. Question. Question. There was apparently a moment of bipartisanship yesterday between you and the former President George W. Bush when he said that you were the savior. What did you take him to mean by that? George W. Bush and
10: I are pretty friendly. When he was president, we joshed around a lot. And I saw the Broke the Ice on yesterday because he had a very colorful comment to make four years ago after the inaugural speech. And so uh, when we greeted each other with our elbow bumps, I looked at him, I said, well, hopefully we don't have a strange uh, speech here today, though he said it in more colorful language four years ago. So that started the conversation. And then he turned to me. He said, you do know that you were the savior. And he was talking about the primary.
5: You do know that you were he was about the primary, South Carolina primary, where, where Clyburn got all the uh, African-American vote out after he endorsed uh, Biden. Now, you remember the colorful language. Do you remember what George W. Bush said after the Trump inaugural address? Do you remember what George W. Bush said? You, what did he say? You don't remember what he said. No, there's, no, there's no problem if you don't. But since Clyburn referred to it, I want to tell you what he said. I can't use the language. Clyburn's right. It was kind of salty. But I can get close. After it was over. After Trump had finished his speech, I don't know if Bush was asked what he thought or if he just volunteered it on his way off the stage. But he said, quote, that was some really strange crap there. But he didn't say crap. And if you remember the Trump inaugural speech, he took it to everybody on that stage because everybody on that stage, there were people like Bush showed up, tradition. Any past president can show up. They're auto-invited. So he showed up. It's like if you've won the Masters, you go every year. You're an eternal champion. You go every year until you retire. Uh, and this is the same. Jimmy Carter couldn't be there this year for health reasons. but So when Trump gave his inaugural address, Obama was there. Uh, Bush was there. There were a lot who boycotted it, too. But there were enough Washington establishment people there that Trump's speech could be easily said and categorized as a direct attack on them. It I remember commenting on it. He called them out. It couldn't be to their face because he was seated in front of them and they were behind him. But It was... Fearless, he accused them of being the stupid leaders that had given us rotten trade deals that had permitted wanton illegal immigration. He just took it right to them. And when it was over, George W. Bush that was some strange crap right there. Almost as though it was the first time Bush had heard Trump say... Those things. We'll squeeze another phone call in here in our remaining moments. The first segment of the broadcast hour, Madison, Wisconsin, and Mike. Hello, sir.
8: Rush, it is an honor and a pleasure, and it's like winning the lottery, getting through the phone lines to speak with you, and hanging there, buddy, American needs you. But, yes, as you alluded to, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, bleeding-heart liberal parents, and when I first stumbled across you in like 90 or 91, I thought you were the most dangerous guy in America.
5: That just stuns the hell out of me. But I'll, I'll accept it because I know you mean it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in college,
8: and I thought you were the most dangerous guy. But for some reason,
5: I kept listening and observing and took to heart what you said. Why do you think cool you did? Instead of just turning the show off and finding something else, what was it that kept you listening? I mean, I thought you were so
8: outrageous and so dangerous of what you said. I I, I could not believe what I was hearing. Was you know? It's kind of like y- you have to look at a train wreck. You don't want to, but you have to. And luckily, I did because again, I I started to actually listen to what you said. And applied it to what are Democrats doing? what are they saying? and they you by God, you were right, they were completely different, and I just started to think more because again, I didn't know better. That's all I grew up in was liberalism, yep. and like I say, I just I started to listen and again, this was back in 1991, and it's just like, man, what he's saying? Not only sounds good, but is, is is factual. I just I saw it, I I heard it. I saw what Democrats were doing, and that's where I kind of ended up being. And now, like I said, you know, I transformed into a full-fledged, you know, Republican slash conservative. And I just I found it more truthful, more honest, more genuine. And again, wow. another big taste was when they were just beating the heck out of Clarence Thomas. I think if this is a black guy everybody should be loving this and democrats were ruthless against him and it just it was like which is what miserable people
5: well i gotta so, tell you i appreciate it that's that is very detailed explanation uh for why you hung in and basically what let me just help out you know i'm i'm a master communicator uh among many other things at which i excel and as a master communicator I often seek to make my points using as few words as possible. A lot of people don't do that. They engage in circumlocution, which is using more words than you need because they think it makes them sound smart. But communication, you really want to pull it off. You really want to be effective. You use the fewest number of words necessary. And the answer to the question I asked, why did you keep listening? You didn't like it. You thought I was a dangerous guy. Why didn't you go find something less threatening? The answer to the question, because the show is compelling, he was unable to turn it off. And he may not have known why at first, but he had to keep listening, even though he thought he hated it. It was compelling. He was hearing things he hadn't heard before on the outlets that he routinely listened to. And those things that he was hearing intrigued him, which is a testament here to, uh, to Mike's brain, to his mind. A lot of people, when they are challenged and threatened that way, they get rid of the threat. They get rid of the challenge. They turn off the show. But Mike here kept coming back to it because he was he was almost compelled to. So, bottom line, it's a good show. Whatever else it is, it's a good show, and it always has been. Mike, thank you very much for the call. Tremendous commentary, and I appreciate it. You know, our buddies at iDrive have discovered something. Our buddies at iDrive have discovered just how dependable their capabilities and systems were in 2020, when so many people were forced to work from home. Man, were they tested. So many people came out of the woodwork. They needed online backup, and they needed it immediately, and they needed it to work right then. And iDrive came through as the company to be relied on for data backups and connecting remotely to the in-office computer iDrive gives you the ability to back up everything on your computer in a safe and secure way. And you can access it 24-7, file by file, or the entire backup, however you need it. Now, in the last year, with so many people working from home, iDrive's ability to give people a way to back up their work from home came through big time. It enabled a seamless transition from the from the office to working at home, and iDrive knew they were, they were going to be tested here. They had to come through, and they did. Now, what iDrive does, they store your data, your backed-up data in the cloud uh, on servers that are not anywhere near where you are. So they're not going to be impacted by whatever natural disaster might happen where you live. They store the data that's on your computers in the most secure of ways off-site, So when you're asked to work from home without the help of the company IT guy, and he may not be easily accessible, you're that much more dependent on your computer and you cannot afford to lose your data because without your data, you can't work. iDrive has it all safely backed up for the day your computer crashes, which it will happens to everybody, and when it happens, your only priority is to get online with another device and retrieve all your files, all your emails, pictures, videos, documents, and get back up and running. iDrive has it all ready for you whenever that fateful day happens. Between that and their remote PC service, they had their most in-demand year yet, and with all that, iDrive was awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for the sixth big year in a row. Sign up today, iDrive.com. Start backing up your data. You'll save 90% off your first year when you sign up today. And we are back. Rush Limbaugh with half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you remembered uh, one of the practices of the Obama administration when they were dealing with criminals. Uh, Department of Justice lawsuits against uh, mafia types, organized crime, RICO, whatever. Whenever they found somebody guilty in a trial, rather than collect fines on behalf of the United States of America, the Obama administration changed up and they allowed left-wing activist groups like uh, Take your pick, like uh, the the Naral Gang, uh, the the abortion rights gang, or uh, the Human Rights Club, the uh, the the gay rights group. They they would allow them to collect the fines. It was it was almost like a money laundering scheme in a way that the Obama administration Department of Justice would would uh, file suit against these people, and they would either take them to trial or there would be a settlement. Most people settle. You you, you can't compete with the endless money of the federal government. So whatever fine came out went to left-wing activist groups. Well, guess what Biden is doing? He has demanded, He's called, he's called for the DOJ to resume the Obama-era slush fund payouts to left-wing groups. Now, this is what Democrats see as getting back to normal. Using taxpayer money to line the pockets of left-wing extremist and radical groups who are then going to do what? A portion of that money is going to be donated back to who? The Democrat Party. It's going to be used to register voters. It is, for lack of a better term, it's a money laundering opposition. It operates a way for the, for the Democrat Party to get their hands on this money that they otherwise wouldn't be able to touch. It has nothing to do with justice. It has everything to do with using public money to ensure one-party rule. The Breitbart News Agency has the story, and that's pretty, pretty much the, the nub of it. Biden wants to return to those days. Right now, uh, Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light through times of trouble, murkiness, tumult, chaos, unsettledness. The dark days and, yes, uh, even the the good times. Here's uh, Robert in Roanoke, Virginia. You're welcome. Great to have you here. Hello. Good afternoon, sir. Um, prayers to you and Catherine.
8: And this is an honor that would second only to shaking Trump's hand.
5: Well, thank you. Uh, very. I really appreciate that. I really do. Thank you.
8: Now, to my point, I, I told Snurdly what my question was, may I add an Roll-on question after that one. I don't want to break the rules.
5: Sure. No, go ahead. There's no rules. Whatever you want.
8: (laughs) Well, now that the GOP has turned their back on, well, Trump and the rest of us, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, and we see how elections can be manipulated and done with at will, is there any reason to vote for the GOP again? And furthermore, even if a third party comes out of this, it's, is it just as fruitless? I mean
5: – You know, this, it, this is a – it's a tough thing. It's a, I, I think it's a, a personal decision for everybody that's going to be um, involved in, in this. Um, there, there needs to be uh, an organized opposition – to the Democrats, there need there needs to be a place where the fruits and labors of the organized opposition uh, can vote. There has to be there has to be some mechanism for the opposition to have a chance. Let me. I've got a couple stories here that I can I can uh, share with you that I think will maybe give you some some clarity on this where other people thinking about. It. I got a story here from Joel Pollock at Breitbart, John Nolte at Breitbart. And they've got a couple of theories on answering your question. Uh, I also I got a note from a a friend who basically is voicing the same question that you're asking, only in an opinion. Email that he sent me says they turn their backs on us when it matters. But today they're sending out press releases and being interviewed in local media complaining about what Biden is doing with the Keystone XL, Paris, the Climate Accords, immigration. Now, what this means is that Biden gave his inaugural address and the Republicans in Washington did what they know how to do. They went out and created some fundraising letters to send to their massive mailing list. And they begged a bunch of people to give them money. They express shock and outrage that the Democrats would ever try to go back in the Paris Climate Accords. Or that they would shut down the Keystone XL Pipeline. Or that they would get rid of the wall. And this is what irritates people. Where were you? We had a guy to stop this. We had somebody that was perfectly capable of stopping all of this. His name was Donald Trump. And all you had to do was support him, but you couldn't, because it's an establishment thing, and you didn't think he belonged, and you do. So you enable the forces in opposition to Trump to win, and now you're sending us fundraising emails asking us to help you stop Biden and the Democrats. If you want to stop Biden now, why didn't you want to stop him in October why didn't you want to stop him in September? I don't know that these people understand the level of sophistication of the average Republican voter today. What I just voiced is by no means educational for you. You feel it yourself. You don't need me to tell you what's going on here. You, these very same people who are sending you fundraising letters asking you to help them stop Biden— and the Keystone Pipeline, and the Paris Accords. You're scratching their heads, your heads, or worse, and saying, we had a guy in office that had stopped all of this. There weren't in the Paris Accords. The Keystone Pipeline was running. It was up and running. Immigration was in the process of being fixed. We had the guy. You helped us get rid of him. Why in the world? It just doesn't compute. So your question... Should we be supporting the Republican Party? It would be... Man, I, I, why would you? But it's up to you. You know, Maybe they should have done something about election fraud. Maybe they should have been concerned about all this so that Biden wouldn't win. But when you get right down to it, they wanted Biden to win. They wanted Trump gone because they are establishment types themselves. I just, I find this mind-boggling. After Biden's inauguration speech, here comes, have you seen these fundraising emails, Mr. Snurdley? I mean, it's, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It's so unnecessary. We had the guy in place who had stopped it all. He had stopped them in the Paris Accords and the Keystone Pipeline. He had shut them down. Oh, man. You're about frustrating. Now, Here's Joel Pollack in Breitbart, where Trump supporters go from here. I just share with you some some pull quotes here to give you an idea of what his uh, piece is about. Unlike his predecessors, Trump never broke the law like Clinton did. He never broke the rules of the Constitution like Obama did. But Trump tested the limits of democracy by trusting his movement to impose its will. Trump's boldness made him an extraordinary, successful president, until the disastrous January 6th challenge. That left the Republican Party divided and dispirited. If that, oh, that should never have happened. None of that on January 6th should ever have happened. Another pull quote, to a large extent, Biden's sweeping promises are going to be defeated more by reality than by Republicans. George Orwell observed that for a left-wing party in power, its most serious antagonist is always its own past propaganda. Exactly. What he means is th- they're, they're, they're going to raise their expectations so high that they're not going to be able to fulfill them or anybody and they're going to overstep in the process. They're going to enable, in essence, essentially sabotage themselves more than the Republicans will. See, if you're asking me, well, Rush, Rush, what did we? I, I would actually give it a lot of thought because what if Orwell's right? What, what if? At the end of the day, the Democrats are going to end up sabotaging themselves and you don't have to give any money to Republicans to make that happen because it will. Don't doubt me. Another pull quote. Rebuilding without Donald Trump must include his policies. It must include the MAGA agenda. Well, do you think that the Republican hierarchy in the House and the Senate right now are in any way desirous of incorporating the MAGA agenda, they want no part of it. They are looking forward to the Mitt Romneys of the world, reconstituting the Republican Party as it was in the early 2000s and the mid-2000s. Before Trump came along and corrupted the whole thing, they don't want any part of MAGA. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't what what in the world is so off putting about make America great again? mister Pollock says the GOP should also retain Trump's approach to free trade, which was astonishingly successful and insist on reciprocity with our trading partners. Republicans can also challenge Democrats' claim to be the party of science. The pandemic has proved the Democrat boast to be the party of science a farce. The Democrats imposed unnecessarily harsh lockdowns, and the teachers' unions in big Democrat-run cities and states forced children to stay at home when they were at minimal risk of transmitting the virus or suffering from it. So those are a couple of things from uh, Joel Pollack. John Nolte. When I say the Republican Party, I'm not talking about Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. I'm talking about us, we, the people, those who call themselves Republicans, but only because that was the party Trump chose to run with. So ask yourself, are you a Republican because of Ted Cruz, of Rubio, of McConnell, Paul Ryan? Or are you a Republican because of Trump? Because there are different kinds of Republicans. In just five years, and this is profound here, folks, I've made this point myself countless times, in just five years, starting in 2015. The Republican Party had become the party of the working class, the party that backed private union members, the party fighting for civil liberties, fighting against the suicide of free trade. We are the party standing side by side with legendary labor leader Caesar Chavez to stop illegal immigration. We're the ones opposing endless wars. The corporatizing of America, big mergers, big consolidation. In other words, we used to be the party of Wall Street, the party of big banks, the party of Chamber of Commerce, the party we're not. Trump turned the Republican Party into the party of the people. And now the Democrats are the party of the rich. The Democrats are the party of the idle wealthy and of Wall Street. Quick timeout, back with more in a moment. You know, you really have to ask yourself, why are you a Republican? And you can start your answer, well, I was a Republican because of Reagan, or I was a Republican because of Bush, but that's, I I think you're a Republican because of what the Republicans promised you they would do if elected. You believed what their stated agenda was, and you elected them on that basis, and then More often than not, after they were elected, that agenda vanished. It just didn't happen. There was always some excuse. There was always some reason. After they were elected, that they discovered that was going to make it really, really hard. Like Mitch McConnell said, well, we need 60 votes here in the Senate. We don't have them. And then the big kahuna came along Donald Trump what did Trump do why he began to implement that very agenda and he called it making America great again it was like a renaissance finally people thank God there's somebody that actually wants to do these things and then he started doing them he kept every promise he kept promises he didn't make Even in the midst of trying to destroy him, he kept on. It was an amazing thing to watch. A four year effort to destroy Donald Trump, and he kept on. That's how he developed the reputation as a fighter. And people loved him for it, they loved him for all of the right reasons. And that's why they're loyal to him. And that's why they hate to see him go. But then, as I just mentioned, the very Republican Party whose agenda he helped implement, uh, four or five of them were around, but most weren't. They, They didn't like him for implementing the agenda. You're not supposed to do that, don't you? No, Trump... The agenda is supposed to be something we always promise, but don't quite get there so we can continue to raise money. My friend, cyber hackers think your cell phone's got a lot of your personal information on it, and they're right. The clever hackers are good at getting hold of that information, too, while you don't even know it's happening. They can do it without you knowing. That's why you need to shield your phone. You hide your phone. You make yourself appear invisible with something called a VPN. A virtual private network. In simple terms, when you have a VPN, you become invisible online. Your connection cannot be seen. Therefore, a hacker cannot connect to it and steal whatever he can see. Now, Norton makes the best VPN, in our opinion. And you get it with Norton 360. That's the name of the product. It's Norton's real-time protection software. You download it once, you activate it, the devices you've downloaded that software are protected. And you can furthermore you can run your connection through any of 300 servers around the world to further confuse people. Now, remember, no one can prevent all cyber crimes, but Norton 360, why? You're going to have trouble finding anything better. It can help you stay steps ahead of online cyber hackers. They put a lot of thought in protecting your phone and your your tablets, your iPads, your laptops. They even go so far as to help secure your webcam on your laptop. So sign up and get Norton 360. Be protected from these snooping hackers out there who literally are trying to plant malware on your devices so they can eventually extract private information from your device. You go online to norton.com slash rush. That will get you 25% off your first year's plan right there. Norton.com slash rush. Folks, I apologize for the raspy voice today, but uh, I've, I've done my best to get the phlegm out of there and make it sound acceptable. Interesting story here. Trump's parting speech. As he was getting on Air Force One on Wednesday morning, this was not even the the big farewell address of the day before. Trump's parting speech has had more views on YouTube on both ABC and CBS than Biden's inaugural had. Every speech Trump has given this week has outrated Biden's inaugural. See you tomorrow.